Hi, everyone, and welcome back once again to another podcast, Scouting Mitzpez 22. It has been ages and ages since I have done one of these. People have been emailing me, where are you? Where are your podcasts? Uh, those of the people who follow my blog very carefully know that I've been traveling all over creation, you know, Rome twice, uh, Nebraska to deal with some family things a couple of times, uh, all over the map, giving lectures, Cornell University, Mount St. Mary's heading off to Rochester, Minnesota for a word on fire conferences. In other words, I and, and writing for on the Senate and Catholic World Report, the register. It's just been super busy. Plus, it's also hard to tra track down and tie down academics uh, who I prefer to interview in these things during the summer. You might think, well, it's easier in the summer. No, it is not because yeah. they're just like me. They're traveling all over to conferences and on vacations and so on. So I'm back. I'm still fighting off sinus infection I picked up in Rome. You might hear it in my voice, uh, but my energy levels are a little bit back. So here we go. We're, I'm very happy to have a return guest to sort of launch, relaunch the, the podcast is uh, Kale Zeldin. Kale is uh, he teaches uh, English, right? Teaches English at a prep school in Rhode Island. Uh, very good. Uh, a very, very good teacher, I am sure given his eloquence and his intelligence. He, uh, he also has had an association with Rod Dreher. Do you still do the, the, the general eclectic podcast with Rod Dreher that you used to do? We, we do not. Uh, when, he, when, when he parted ways with the American conservative, that sort of meant that we all parted ways with American, the American conservative. So sadly, that has been, um, uh, we're done. So um, I, I have plans, uh, hopes, dreams, aspirations of doing something in which he will come and be a, maybe a, a recurring guest on. But uh, yeah, no, I'm waiting to sort of push push my project out. So it's forthcoming. Well, that's good. Well, I, I wish it luck because uh, I kind of missed the general eclectic and uh, I figured it had something to do uh, with the American conservative, because uh, sure. you, you had mentioned something about that to, to yep. me in an email. Anyway, what Kale and I want to discuss today is it's going to be a kind of a free floating grab bag conversation, which befits a kind of relaunch of this podcast. But I am fresh from the Senate in Rome. Uh, I've written a lot on the Senate in Rome. There's just so much going on in Rome right now. And and I get a lot of emails and Kale talks to a lot of people, gets a lot of emails. And we know a lot of Catholics who are, I guess you would say, more on the traditional or conservative end of the Catholic spectrum. And so we're running up across a lot of people that that are not only just deeply confused about what's going on in the church today, what's going on with Pope Francis, what is this synod thing, what are we to think of? They're not only confused about that, but a lot of people, a lot of Catholics are undergoing what can only be described as a kind of crisis of faith. And, and, and there's just no other way to slice it or dice it. There's, there's a crisis. I'm kind of mulling around in my own head right now, an article that I want to write, either a blog post or something for one of these journals uh, called our, our Demoralized Church, yeah. uh, because I do sense there is a decline in vocations worldwide. There is a decline in, um, in, in sort of, I think, general Catholic passion in, in at least in the in the western world the united states and so on so that that's something we want to talk about so i'm gonna i'm gonna sort of turn it over to kale for some mm -hmm. opening come what what is what is it do i have it right do you do you sense that there is this crisis of faith among many catholics is there a demoralization that has gone on uh in in this wing of the catholic church yeah you know and, and i can only speak you know anecdotally here of course you know with people yeah. that i interact and talk with i try to do my best i mean i'm conservative you know basically speaking and i'm 
traditional or at least traditional adjacent. I mean, I go to a, a Novus Ordo uh, monastery parish here where I work and live. Um, so it's not, you know, so, but I have many friends, family members who are TLM folks. And so I'm um, sympathetic uh, in that regard. But, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty, I, I, I live and, and work in a pretty mainstream place in terms of, in terms of the church. So um, I, I sense in, in terms of the people that I'm talking to and the things that I'm reading is that there's a lot of confusion, you know, and I, I, you know, I, I certainly tweet a lot about this. I know you, you have been uh, uh, probably smart to stay off of Twitter, but there I am. And I do a lot of my interacting on Twitter X or whatever they call it these days, but I'm going to stick with Twitter for the time. Yeah, being. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the, I've been struck, you know, something that Pope Francis said to, a gathering, uh, I want to say it was in 2015, I could be wrong on that date, but it was a gathering of the World Youth, um, it was the World Youth Day, and he he um, uh, encouraged uh, young people to um, hagan leo, uh, go make a mess. And I, I believe that that is one of the tags that actually is um, unambiguous. Um, for um, for Pope Francis. And I think this sort of this mess making um, uh, has come to be something different than I had hoped it would be when I first heard him say hi right. and Leo. And, and I think that, you know, so I, I, I think when you when you hear um, words and phrases and pattern repeat you know repeat iterations of the same things you need to really have a, a an ear for discernment in terms of well what actually does does that mean what does he mean and so i think that we have found um at least again from my vantage point that there has been a little bit of um well a lot of mess and 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 not a small amount of ambiguity in terms of what what is being spoken and so therefore you're left with um you know i would say that in in um, the preceding papacies, where there was um, an attempt to use the organs of the church, especially you know the documents, encyclicals, and exhortations, as a way of clarifying things, um, I don't think that that is the case here in in this now over decades long papacy. I don't think that the documents actually um, are meant for clarification. I feel like there's something else going on. And so therefore, you have to not only read the documents and, and sort of understand what's going on, but I think you have to watch. And I think the iconography of this um, regime, this papacy, is really something you must pay attention to. And and to be honest with you, Larry, and maybe this is a nice opportunity for you to say sort of what's going on on the ground there in Rome, but uh, from my vantage point, um, the 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 show of it all is 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 yes very much a mess oh man there's so much there to unpack and i will talk about uh some things i learned in rome on there i don't want to overplay what i learned because sure. man it, they, they were very tight-lipped about yeah. about the, and i you know in my last article in catholic world report i mentioned the incongruity of the fact that 360 people are supposedly speaking for the people of God, but the people of God have to be kept in the dark, lest the people of God, those pesky people of God, interfere with the people of God doing the people of God's business, business. which is, yeah, yeah. you know, you can't make this stuff up. You know, the, yeah. the super yeah. secret people of God meeting to determine what the people of God want. Uh, you know, that that right there, once again, I love what you just said about you have to pay attention to the iconography of this pope more in many ways than what he says. I mean, because he, I, I, he's not a heretic. I will defend to the hilt 
the fact that he's not a heretic. Uh, and I think that's he's deliberately avoided saying <laughs> sort of in teaching formally heretical. As my wife says, uh, you know, actually, the fact that this pope seems so theologically suspicious uh, only underscores the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. that The papacy will not fall into formal heresy because well, le left to his own devices, he just might darn well do that. But I think even Pope Francis has a kind of sense of not wanting to cross a certain Rubicon, not wanting to cross a certain boundary. And I don't know what his motivations are, maybe just to avoid schism, you know, a practical prudential judgment. Uh, but but I'm grateful for the fact that that he hasn't crossed that. At least that's my assessment. That's my judgment. So, uh, but nevertheless, so if I, if I, if I can just jump go, go in ahead. on that real quick. Go, um, go ahead. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think there has been uh, maybe a very careful, uh, interestingly enough, a careful avoidance of certain trigger language that would um, yeah. veer off into um, heresy or anything like that. But so then my question that I would like to pose to you, and maybe you can play with this a little bit, because I certainly sense it myself, is can a picture be heresy? Um, and what I mean by that is like um, a photo opportunity, a staged um, meeting, um, can can that be a a a form of heresy? Now I'm being somewhat tongue in cheek here with this, but if you no. recall, if you recall on October 17th, he meets um, and has a photo opportunity with the New Ways Ministry folks, and in particular, of course, um, uh, Sister Gramic, um, who um, is, I, I think it's fair to say, uh, a heretic. And maybe I'm using my language inappropriate, but she clearly does not care for the the, the teachings of the Catholic Church on matters of sexual um, and morality and uh, sexual ethics and, and 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 human anthropology. And yet here he is in the midst of the of said synod of uh, synod, sorry, um, uh, staging a very well publicized um, uh, opportunity. Uh, photo opportunity. So, I mean, tell me that. I mean, how is that? Is, yeah. Again, it's not it's not a word, right? It's not a document that would suggest, but it, it's something, isn't it? Yeah, I think we have to be very, very, uh, at least I wish to be uh, careful about using the word heretic when it applies to uh, dissent from established moral fair. theological teachings. Fair. Fair. Uh, fair. Because I, I, I prefer to use the language of dissent. She, Sister Gramic is clearly a dissenter from established authoritative Catholic teaching on matters of human sexuality. What needs to be established, therefore, and I studied under moral theologians like Germaine Griset and so forth, yeah. who I think did establish this, yeah. is that these moral teachings are, in fact, infallibly proposed by the ordinary magisterium of the church. Yeah. There has been no ex cathedra papal definition on any of these things. Uh, and so the, the 90, you know, the the entirety of the Catholic moral theological tradition and its authority is going to be grounded in the infallibility and indefectibility of the ordinary magisterium of the church. Right. So in order to accuse her of overt heresy, I think one needs to first establish that the church's teaching on homosexuality is a de fide, de, well, not de fide, de, but, but a, an infallible teaching of the ordinary magisterium. Right. I think you can do that. And therefore, right. I think once you do that and establish that, then it would be okay to say Sister Gramic is a heretic right. in terms Fair. of denying certain yeah. infallible moral theological doctrines. That would be my adjudication as mm -hmm. a theologian. Mm -hmm. But until there's a kind of broad sweeping consensus that this is the language that we want to use, I'm just going to stick with she's a dissenter. Now, okay. back what you said, yeah, I think his 
choosing to meet with them. And as I mentioned in my last Catholic World Report article, why did he not meet with the leaders of courage, which right. is that orthodox Catholic sort of outreach to gays sort of sort of ministry? Why did he not make any of them voting members of the Synod like he did with Father James Martin? And, right. and, and so you're right. There's an icon. As I said in my, that my article, Pope Francis had to be aware. I called it the optics, what the optics of that meeting implied. And as far as I'm concerned, he well, let's knew. spell that out. Spell that out what the optics um, would imply, because I think because I'm tired. I'm really kind of getting annoyed with the games of footsie that we have to play. And look, I appreciate your role as a theologian and as a public commenter on these sort of things. I appreciate your your caution, um, you know, and, and I think that's a, well, a nice, a nice, quick, uh, good lesson. If on, I, I mean, may, let me interrupt your question really quick. Mm -hmm. The only reason why I am cautious is because I think it's important for those of us who think like you and I do and others mm -hmm. To differentiate ourselves from the Father Altmans of the Church, Fair uh, and, yeah. and the and the crazoid tinfoil hat wearing nut jobs of the Church who are out mm -hmm. there hurling these constant sede vacantist pieces of nonsense, I do yeah. not want to be associated with them, and so I am going to keep my powder dry, and I'm going to yeah. use more cautious language. Anyway, go ahead, yeah. go ahead, Kale. So, all right, you know, so, so then, you know, so what does it mean, right? I mean, you know, that, that, you know, you mentioned um, uh, courage, I think, you know, versus yeah. outreach. I mean, those are sort of these sort of two schools, I guess, or, or, or approaches to, to the question, which get back to this, this, this outreach James Martin's group. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is ultimately a human anthropology question. If, if I'm seeing these things correctly, it is. And, and my concern is like, and, and I'm not just trying to be a kind of a, um, an academic adjacent, you know, um, nerd here, but I, I think, you know, that matters uh, quite consequentially, you know, that, that, that how, what you understand the human person to be and uh, made in the image of and ordered toward is very important. And it's not like the church has just been silent on this issue for 2000 years, you know, quite the contrary, you know, this has been very, um, firmly established as anything that the church teaches forever and then and, and then now not right and so yeah. you know so 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 he's choosing to have these photo ops with with um dissenters um and so i ask you you know what does that mean and then i'm going to ask it also what does it mean that all of these groups these listening groups were also handpicked um you know, what am I to conclude? Because in my world, Larry, you know, um, of, of schools and school management and all that kind of thing is like, you know, you can do lots of controlling of the narrative if you can control who's at the table. Yes. As they say, personnel is policy. Absolutely. And and so, as I said in my last, I keep hate to keep referencing my no. last article. No, that's so okay. This is a different medium, Larry. We're talking about is in there, uh, is, as I said, I'm, I'm really kind of sick and tired of trying to figure out what Pope Francis is all about. Who the heck knows? One day he's saying that the LGBTQ ideology is a form of ideological colonization and he condemns it. And the next breath he's saying, hey, Sister Gramic, James Martin, Cardinal Holerick, you go, girls. Bless you your know, work. Uh, Bless yeah, your work. I'm blessing your work, even though you all say well, the church is full of it on these issues. Mm -hmm. So he he someone wrote to me and says, is the pope bipolar? Mm -hmm. No, he's not bipolar. I think he's playing a long game and I think you're under something important here. Mm -hmm. I don't think he has taught formal heresy, but he has 
empowered a wing of the church that does teach heresy. And that, that is deeply problematic. And, and, and so, as I said in my article, I, I, I can't figure this pope out, but he's elevated all of these dissenters to positions of authority. Therefore, you connect the dots, you do the math, you, you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what's going on here. And what's going on here is that what Pope Francis feels like he doesn't want to achieve through papal fiat, where he just comes forward and says, I hereby change all the following doctrines. He doesn't want to do that. He wants it to happen via a kind of ecclesial drift. He wants mm. to simply mm. create as, as structures and and uh, personnel within the church. I think th that are more conducive to this kind of dissent. I don't think it's an accident, for example, that he waited about eight, nine, ten years uh, to start this so-called synodal process. It's not synodal at all, but that's what they call it. The start that I think he waited until he felt like he had all of the various episcopal ecclesial uh, chess pieces in place. OK, he had re yeah. completely reconstructed the leadership of the American Catholic Church, for example, Tobin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, soup, a thug like Supich and uh, an idiot like McElroy. Uh, and, and I call and I say thug and idiot. And I don't mean that hyperbolically. I, I think Cardinal McElroy is intellectually shallow. And, and not very bright. And I think Cardinal Supich is a thug. I think he's a bully. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I base that on information I have from people who, you know, live and work in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Yeah. OK, yeah. Uh, and, and so these are who Pope Francis has privileged, and he's accountable for that. He's also accountable for not doing enough in the sexual abuse crisis. So like with Father Rupnik, this whole scandal with Father Rupnik, that, that, and I know you wanted to talk about this, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the synod, the Pope gets up and he says, oh, to heck with the clericalism of all these young priests that want to wear the epicene Renaissance frills of cassocks and lace surplices and things like that. Uh, and and it's, it's a scourge on the church, really, after after all this right. talk about listening and so forth. Uh, he doesn't want to listen to this wing of the church. He doesn't want to engage in dialogue with this wing of the church. And that's very telling. He's saying these people don't count. Their voice don't count. They're backwardists. They're Pharisees. They're rigid. Those Catholics who want to want to hang on to some semblance of the sort of trappings of the Tridentine church are simply to be condemned. They're not to be listened to. They're not to be accompanied. There's no discernment here involved at all. They're just to be condemned. Meanwhile, my friend, my fellow Jesuit buddy, Father Rupnik, can get incarnated in another diocese even after decades of sexual abuse of people under his care. The Jesuits kick him out and the Pope does nothing to lift the statute of limitations until okay. there's a worldwide, a worldwide outcry, even in the secular media saying, you hypocrite. You hypocrite, you just held a synod on listening to people, apparently listening to the victims of sexual abuse are not on there. So what kind of listening is the synod really about then? What kind right. of listening, Holy Father? It's listening to the LGBTQ advocates and it's listening to the women ordinate women's ordination advocates. That's what this synod was about. And everybody at the top, like Holerick and people like that, were saying from the get go that this is what this synod was going to be about. Right which is why the National Catholic Reporter just came out with an article this past week lamenting the fact that nothing was done at the end of the synod on these issues that we all hoped would be changed. All right. And, and so right. the, they're, they're, you talk about iconography, you talk about making a mess. The Pope 
when he says make a mess, I with you, I was hoping that this meant take Catholicism to the streets. Status right. quo, right. suburban right. Catholicism That's is right. a dead end. I exactly. write about that all the time. Yeah. I was hopeful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, let's re-weird Christianity. Let's right. rewild Christianity. Yeah. Let's have some street saints again. No, apparently what he means is let's just upset all of those backwardist conservative stick in the mud Catholics and let's put into positions of authority all of those Catholics who simply want to bless the secular zeitgeist. That's what this synod was about. That's what the Rupnik affair is about. That's why he drags his feet in all these sexual abuse cases, because in point of fact, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about sexual sins, sexual abuse. I'm going to say that bluntly. His track record shows he doesn't care. Yeah. And there are receipts to be had. I mean, you know, they're all over the place. You you really can see the pattern. It, it is, but you've just given me so much. I want to. I want to. I want to work ahead, on riff. here. Uh, I just riffed for ten minutes. You yeah, riffed for no, ten minutes. No, no, no. You. It was great. I mean, look the. To me, the defining moment of this uh, this portion of the two year synod, and I think I want to come back to this two year business because um, anyway, um, was on the very day you mentioned it already, but on the very moment in which the Pope is addressing um, the the synod. Um, and saying that the great scourge of clericalism is is the problem in the church, and then and then very uh, carefully um, crafts uh, a mental image of a young priest going to what Gamelli's or whatever one of these yeah, um, yeah. one of these um, uh, two tailors in Rome to get to get you know outfitted for lace robes and the tat and lace thing and. You know, and and so at the very end, he says, like, this is the great problem of the church. And so I just want to hang a little footnote. Let's come back to the great scourge of the church in just a second. But at the very same moment, and in my Twitter feed, I must say that day, like I was reading, you know, as I was teaching all morning. And so I go at lunch break and I'm looking at the Twitter feed and like back to back tweets are the Pope ragging on on young priests who are getting uh, measured for lace robes. Um, uh, at you know the very next tweet is Marco Rupnik is reincarnated or sorry he's incarnated yeah. in in his home diocese in Slovenia like back to back and I'm like you have got to be kidding me so to me the image it's a I, on Twitter I called it a diptych you know a, a kind of it's it's a panel it's a two panel story right in which you have um, this business about and so then I'm asking the question like look I I work with young people all the time I work with lay people all the time and and to suggest that that for them you know top of mind for the rank and file catholic or the rank and file you know student of a catholic school do they really they literally don't even know what the heck he's talking about when he's saying young traditional minded priests getting measured for lace robes i mean it, it's it's one of these weird bubble conversations that can only make sense if your entire world, you know, if your world extends to, um, you know, to the Tiber, uh, you know, from from yeah. St. Peter. That's it. It's such a dumb bubble. Nobody gives a rat's behind about it because it literally has no purchase. Right. And so so and then, and then but what they do care about, they do care about you know, um, uh, predator priests, right? And 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 I think it's worth pointing out here, Larry, that this is not, you know, um, a sad story 
Father Rupnik's story is not a sad story of a young uh, or even a mid-career priest who is lonely. He's been working in a parish right. and all the pressures of trying to keep up, keep parishes open and keep parish schools open. And, you know, you're by yourself and you have a kind of um, you develop a relationship with one of the women who works in the chancery, you know, and, uh, you know, and then we, bada bing, bada boom. He was in go. a lonely place. I'm in a yeah. lonely place. And like, look, that's a very human story because it's ultimately about about loneliness look sympathies from here to mars for me on those kinds of things you shouldn't do it but look you know this is not what we're talking about marco rupnik was not a lonely man who like found himself in a in a in a, in a sad place and decided to like have a relationship no this is a serial ritual demonic abuser of women using his art as a front Right to create a cult of personality in which he was given free reign to serially and psychologically and sexually abuse women in the most ritualistically sadistic and disgusting ways. And I'm not going to get into it right now, but it involves chalices and it involves things that happen in in anyway. It's gross, right? And invoking so for, the Trinity for threesomes and so for forth. threesomes because you know it you know unreal, right? I mean, you can kind of feel my blood boiling right now it, it is yeah. gross and it is disgusting and to see this guy get a free pass over and over and over again so you have certain questions i'm sure i have certain questions like how does this happen larry what is going on and and again call me crass if you will but does he have bad you know dirty pictures on people like how do you get away with it and then lastly, I just want to, there's been some confusion that I've seen on, on Twitter as well, is that being re, being incarnated in the Diocese of Slovenia doesn't mean that he goes back to Slovenia. What it really means is right. he's got to have a free pass to do to stay in Rome and to continue his work, whatever that is, right? It's a free no. pass. It's gross, and bishop, it is so gross. All his new bishop has to do is say, okay, you're incarnated in the diocese, but I release you to Rome to exactly. continue your artistic endeavors there in Rome. And so nothing about this man's life will change. I'm glad you you use the word demonic, because yeah. on Facebook, I, I use the word demonic. I said yeah. his sexual abuse rose to demonic levels, mm -hmm. and I caught some flack for it from for certain real. people. On, oh, for yeah. Real. Uh, on what grounds? On, on, on the grounds that... Uh, I, I'm what am I equally was I equally critical of John Paul and Benedict when they empowered demonic forms of sexual abuse? And so, in other words, people who want to defend Pope Francis at all costs, all right, are now engaging in this practice of extreme deflection and sophistry. Where they're going to say, okay. oh, let, let, oh, yeah, yeah. What, they'll, they'll, they'll acknowledge, yeah, what Francis has done is kind of bad. Okay. But what about this over here? Were you I mean, around do, discuss, discussing this when John Paul was approving of Maciel and his perversions? I mean, do, and so do I need to go on record as saying that Maciel was demonic? Fine. Yeah. Yes. No, Maciel yeah. was I, absolutely, tragically, disgustingly demonic. There. Done. I yeah. Mean, there. Yeah. Done. Done. Exactly. You know, do uh, I, but anyway, do I, uh, my, my, my love, you know, and, and esteem for somebody like John Paul II take a hit. Yeah, it did. Absolutely. It really did. Boom. Done. I think Let's he's a, I think he's a saint. He's yeah. still my big ecclesiastical yeah. hero. Yeah. Nevertheless, I condemn him unequivocally to the extent that he did turn a blind eye to this. That's stuff. right. That's right. But that's the question with him. To what extent did he turn a blind yeah. eye? What yeah. did he know when he didn't know? Anyway, let's get yeah. back to my point is that 
the, the Rupnik thing does rise to the level of demonic because it was ritualized I and think, ritualized think. precisely through his role as a priest where he misused the sacraments and misused sacramentals, misused his role as spiritual director. And he was automatically excommunicated from the church when he when he uh, absolved a woman in the confessional for a sexual sin that she committed with him, with him. Yeah, that yeah. that is yeah. one of the most serious offenses yeah. that a priest can engage in. It incurs an automatic excommunication. The excommunication was made public. And with that, I, I think about a month or less, the excommunication was lifted. Correct. Now, no one has ever come forward and said, well, who lifted Why? that excommunication? Yeah, yeah, right, right. But the fact, according to canon law, there's only one person in the church that can lift an automatic excommunication for that offense. And that is the pope. That's right. All right. That right. is the Pope. And, and nobody guess, in the Vatican has denied that the Pope lifted that right. excommunication. So yeah. the point is this and, and it, this is horrible enough, but it's part of a pattern of this Pope turning a blind eye to sexual abuse or the covering up of sexual abuse by his Episcopal friends like Zanchetta, uh, yep. Bishop Zanchetta. And, and uh, oh, God, there's like five or six others. If you really want to dig deep into this, there's been some excellent reporting in this by people like Edward Penton and by Chris Altieri uh, yeah. in Catholic Ed Penton in the National Catholic Register, uh, Ed Condon in the pillar, Chris yeah. Altieri in, yeah. in Catholic World Report. Man, it is just the documentation of this pope's serial malfeasance when it comes to ignoring uh, in, you know, powerful people in the church. I mean, look at just look at his rehabilitation of McCarrick or even more t damning, his rehabilitation of Cardinal Dan Eels. That's right. Who was Thank on you. tape, on yeah. tape, telling, what was it, his nephew? It was to, It was telling, the, the, there was a bishop in, in, in Belgium, right? Yeah. Uh, I believe, and and he had abused his nephew. That's it. And and so the nephew is having a conversation with Dan Eels, and Dan Eels is basically saying, you know, get out, of here. get out of here. Yeah, just keep this quiet. Right. All right. Just be quiet and blah, That's blah, right. blah. And he's on tape for this. And, and that was just one instance of Daniil's malfeasance in this regard. Yep. Uh, and there is Pope Francis rehabilitating Daniil's there when Pope Francis, when Bergoglio was elected pope, who's standing on the on the balcony right of St. Peter there. right Amazing. behind him is Daniil's. Daniil's was instrumental in, in creating what's so-called uh, St. Gallen Mafia, the, in other words, the group of ecclesial yeah. lobbyists that yeah. got together before the conclave to lobby for Pope Francis. Okay. People make a big, too, I think too big a deal about that. The idea that there isn't any lobbying pre conclave <laughs> amongst Cardinals. I sure. Think, yeah. 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 You know, but I, 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 but think I think there's, there, I think there's some there, there, uh, you know, okay, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But no, no, I just, I think that, I think that there is, like you say, there's lobbying on all different fronts. Right. I mean, that's the way these things work. And, you know, um, and I think they, they got their guy. Basically. So it's a big mystery. That wing of the it's church, a... that wing of the church, got their guy clearly. So once again, here's a big confusion. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, the bipolar Pope Francis. Big confusion. Right. Does he condemn sexual abuse or does he not? In in one breath, he says it's the most horrible scourge in the church. He passes this document, Vos Estes, which is supposedly going to hold bishops accountable and so forth. And then he personally, I mean, there was there was a, an example of a priest, for example, an Italian priest. I can remember his name who Pope Benedict ex, ex, uh, ex, you know, lay, forcibly laicized for sexual abuse, forcibly laicized. Yeah. Pope Francis lifted the laicization and allowed him to be a priest again, only to laicize him again like a year or two later when mm -hmm. the priest reoffended. 
Okay, so mm. in one sense, you could say, oh, look at Pope Francis. He's the Pope of second chances and so on and so forth. Right, right, you right, don't right. give a priest who raped children no. second chances. Oh, yeah. And this is personal for me. And I'll just take yeah. a little diversion here. Yeah, I please. was seven years in the seminary. Those who mm. follow my blog carefully know that I'm actually a laicized transitional deacon. I was two months away from ordination to the priesthood. I wanted to be a priest. Mm. really wanted to be a priest. Mm. And there was only one reason, one reason and one reason only why I didn't become a priest. I wanted to get married and have a family. I yeah. decided at the last minute, I want to have a family. Yeah. I don't, I could have done the celibacy thing, but I chose, no, I want mm. to have children and a family. So my thinking is this, right? Mm. If you're going to have a celibate priesthood, let alone a non-abusing priesthood. Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. If you're going yeah. to have a celibate priesthood, then damn it, have a celibate priesthood. And you, you know what? If folks like me and you cannot become priests right. because we chose to have marriage and family, then yeah. by God, the priests who choose to be celibate need. And I'm all in. You know, there's weakness and so on. A mm -hmm. one-time fall, yes, Father can be forgiven. But abusing children, yeah. terrorizing adults under your care, sexually yeah. speaking. And, and then to rehabilitate these people time and time again, that bespeaks a fundamental tone deafness, blindness, and a moral insouciance towards the severity. You know, Holy mm. Father, with all due respect, young people, especially who are sexually abused, have a tendency to commit suicide. Right. Okay? This is lethal. There's a lethality to this. And yet he treats it as, well, boys will be boys. And after yeah. all, who hasn't, who hasn't engaged in a certain sexual picadillo now and then? Right. Right. What? I mean, it, it, it's soul murder. I mean, everybody knows this. If you ever if you've ever dealt with anyone who's been sexually abused, you know that these are wounds that, you know, you you know, are just they, they don't go away. You know, you learn, you know, a lot of people learn to, to deal with them and, and, and they can be healed from from that trauma. I, I, I believe all those things. But, you know, it's 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 soul murder. You know, it really yeah. is. And it's gross. So so then so then you're sort of left to ask the question, well, why? Why so soft on these things? Right. Why is so soft on the things that you should you should um, have violent feelings toward? Right. But no, but they're not. And, you know, I, I wonder, Larry, you know, I know in in in, in political conversations, you know, you, you have the, these these sort of these dueling um models and it and it's in, in your audience may have heard of this you know there's no enemies to the right or there's no enemies to the right. left right there's a sort of a thing you know like i will you know i will never um run cover for anybody to my left because i'm a left-wing person and my project is fundamentally left-wing and so i'm never going to punch left i'm always going to punch right and then, you know, then on the flip side of it, you know, I'm a conservative person. And while this person to the right of me has said something or done something that's, you know, not really my favorite, I'm going to I'm going to look the other way because there are going to be no enemies to my right because they're ultimately for my cause. But I'm going to punch like heck to the left. Right. And right. so I, I sense that there is a version of this. And I know that I'm, I, you know, I, I, I know that I'm not supposed to look at the church in terms of left wing and right wing. I know that the, that that people have told me all the time that it doesn't perfectly graph on, and I will grant that for the sake of this portion of the conversation, even though I have deep reservations about that, um, because I, I, I think that, you know. I have reservations. I actually, I think you can talk about the left and the right um, thrusts well, in, the, in the church, um, mm -hmm. but there seems to be a a a, a an ethos, like sort of an adopted um, model here, in which there are no enemies to my cause, right? And so that if you are down with 
uh, as some of his um, friends would say, the the current magisterium, as uh, as um, Tucho Fernandez um, calls it. If you are a friend of the current uh, magisterium, then you can never be criticized publicly. But if you at all show like a, a you know a, a sort of a oh, raised yeah. eyebrow or all the way to a kind of dissent from the project of, of Pope Francis, then I'm going to trash you and go after you uh, with everything I've got. And I feel that dynamic plays itself pretty regularly. It does. I mean, you see that, uh, I think, especially with uh, what has now lately come to be known as the Pope Splainers. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole cadre and, and some of them are decent, you know, like, uh, you know, I have a friend, Andrew Lacutis. You know, he's a Facebook friend. I've met him in person down in Baltimore. He's a young guy, yep. uh, part of a whole chain of very good theological lacutuses. Uh, but but yep. he is, you know, like a Pope splainer. Uh, yeah. And so and so there's there's sort of good Pope splainers by Andrew, but then there's more vicious Pope splainers like yeah. a Mike Lewis at where Peter is. And I, you know, I'd hate to give him airtime, uh, but even Mike Lewis, by the way, just came out and, and had har very harsh things to say about Pope Francis and the Father Rupnik affair. Yeah, I but gave anyway, him credit for that. I gave him credit. Yeah, we we, we yeah. spar and spat back and forth. Oh, you know, we maintain yeah. a cordial relationship. But um, yeah, and, I, and I, I used to have a much more cordial relationship mm -hmm. with Mike than mm -hmm. than uh, I do now. Yeah. Uh, we 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 don't spar anymore at all. We've just sort of That's agreed fair. To, I, yeah. to sheathe our swords and leave each other alone. Yep. Yep. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, my chief complaint with him isn't that he wants to foster respect for the Pope. The, the Catholics should have a respect for the Pope. Mm -hmm. My chief complaint with him is that he does exactly what you just said. He right. he has developed an enemies list, yeah. and he treats any like a, Cardinal Pell wasn't dead two weeks, yeah. and and Mike Lewis is on where Peter is scathingly attacking Cardinal Pell yeah. because in a post-mortem revelation, it turns out that Pell had been very, very critical uh, while he was still alive. Sure, sure, of, sure. Of Pope yeah. Francis. Yeah. All right. Of, of various things in this papacy. But uh, but, you know, the, the, the honor and respect due to a cardinal recently deceased cardinal of the church, who, by the way, had suffered unjust persecution in his own life. Yep down in Australia, you know, that 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 says it all right there, you know, that, OK, he's criticized Pope Francis, uh, respect for the dead be damned, respect for an honored prelate be damned. I'm going to go after him. And I'm he's now on the enemy. I'm on the enemies list. Anybody that has any criticism at all, whether it's Father Altman or or something or more you. Or but that's me, the thing. Or, but that's the absurdity you know, of it, right? You're I mean, on the enemies list because right. you, there's no you dared to say something about Pope Francis that is critical. And what I would like to ask um, the the crew that you're sort of roughly calling the Pope Splainers, you know, and, and this might get us into some deeper theological things, but you know, is there anything that Pope Francis can say or do that would compel you to condemn? the speech or condemn the action like is there anything or because um peter is the guarantor of orthodoxy as we're told um so um great that there's nothing that a pope can say or do that will even make you raise an eyebrow i mean i really do wonder yeah but what else could he do well maybe the whole sexual abuse issue is one i mean look at mike lewis interesting. i mean interesting mike lewis is definitely one of the people who say you dare not criticize this pope you know he's right in there with massimo fajoli and austin ivory don't criticize or, or tuco to 
Tucho, Tucho, you know, Tucho, Tucho, you know, don't criticize this pope. Otherwise, you're against you're a dissenter and you're against the magisterium and you. Blah, blah. But you're, you're, then, you're a schismatic. I mean, the, oh, the, the, yeah. call is, the call is explicitly that you're you're a schismatic. I'm a yeah, I know. I, I think Mike Lofton, who I actually respect, and I've been on his show twice. I think Mike's a good guy, uh, but he's kind of tended in that direction as oh, well. Big you time. Know, big labeling time. anyone that criticizes this pope as a schismatic. And I'm not a schismatic. (laughs) I think the Pope was validly elected. I think he's the real Pope. I don't think he's teaching formal heresy. He hasn't advocated his office de jure by teaching formal heresy. But I I also think he's a pastoral train wreck. That's my criticism of Pope Fred. I think those of us concerned about the church, who understand the church, who have been involved in the church our entire adult lives, have every right to sit back and say, you know what? There are some real pastoral problems with this guy, you know, at the head of the church right now. Is this pastorally wise, the the, the Episcopal appointments he's made, the synodal process, Mm -hmm. this Mm re-empowering of moral theological dissenters in the church? Mm -hmm. Is this a pastorally wise approach? Have we not tried this? Have Protestants not tried this? Oh, I know. I mean, the record, there's a clear track record of this is failure, 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 right? And yeah, and I, I wonder, Larry, if this is part of a kind of generational. Uh, and I hate to play it, it's simple generational games, but it it seems to be a sort of a strange, um, yeah, uh, blind spot. And and I I was struck um, by this uh, again. It was one of the exhortations leading up to the synod, so it wasn't during the synod, but it was just prior to the synod, I believe. And Pope Francis. Um, made this sort of um, it, it has sort of become stuck in my mind as the totus 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 um, uh, cry, right? Which is you know everyone's welcome, everyone's welcome, everyone's tutti, welcome. Tutti, yeah, tutti. yeah, yeah. Sorry, and you know, I work with kids, I work with their parents, and I don't think there's anybody that I teach with that doesn't think that the church is available for everyone. I think that most people I deal with simply would look at me with a kind of sad, almost smirk in their face and say, oh, Mr. Zeldin, why do you even care? Why why do you even waste your time with this weird mass thing? It's just, it's so quaint you know, that you, that you still show up on Sundays. It's so quaint that, you know, you, you talk this way, you know, God's fine. He's there. She, he, you know, they're the, the God's there, but I mean, really like, what does it have to do with my day-to-day life? Stop caring so much because it's totally and utterly irrelevant to my life. That's the truth of this generation. And, and, and I would say my, most people, my age and, and younger, like why why are you even bothering? And so for for the synod on synodality really to be about opening up the church and so that everybody feels that they belong, it just is a total misread of the room. Oh, so yeah, so we're back on this this level of the pastoral prudential judgment. exactly exactly and and that yeah. it it represents a fun and this is my big thing about liberal cal i don't hate liberal catholics i just right. think that liberal catholicism represents 
a fundamental, constitutive, horrifically awful misreading of the signs of the times of of, right. of our current cultural crisis and situation. Right. The issue right. is not, as you cr- so quickly put, Chris Altieri pointed this out in one article. Yeah, everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. But that ignores the elephant in the living room, which is welcome to what? And right. do I care? My wife, for example, spins wool. We have sheep and she spins wool and yeah, she goes yeah. to a spinning gill. I yeah. I darn well know that I'm welcome any Sunday to go to her spinning gill. <laughs> That's right. And yet I don't have the slightest desire. It's like you just said, oh, hon, I think it's great and quaint that you love going so and spinning, spinning our sheep fleece into wool. Right, you know, right. how, how very 19th century of you and and, right, and all that. Right. Actually, I love what she does. I'm just sort of yeah, making yeah. fun of it now because yeah. I have no desire to do it. Uh, just like if somebody in, in, in you know, invited me to, you know, uh, a, a, a virtual video game conference, I'd say, well, I'm glad I'm welcome, but I don't give a hoot. No, that's uh, exactly right. I mean, there, there are plenty of, you know, it's like the, the failing restaurant down the street. I'm welcome to go to the failing restaurant down the street, but I think their food's terrible. Um, and overpriced. And so guess what? It's just, it's not relevant. It's not salient to my, yeah. to my, to my sense of relevance. And, and so you, the, the irrelevancy yeah. of the church is the scandal of the church, right? And the irrelevancy of the church is supercharged, right? Not by Vatican II or anti-Vatican II or any of the kind of stuff that we argue in bubble land over here, right? The, the, that what is really fueling all of this, right? Is it doesn't matter, Right. And the reason why it doesn't matter to most people is because, you know, we don't live in the Vatican II church. We live in the post spotlight church. And, 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 and this entire generation has ignored this profound loss of moral authority. And therefore, with a loss of moral authority, you recognize I don't have to listen to a word you have to say. In fact, I'm not even going to listen to a word you have to say. Right. The utter hypocrisy uh, of uh, and and the draining out of authority is the reason is the reason why nobody gives a hoot. Oh, absolutely. You know, two thirds of my my recent book, Confessions of a Confession of a Catholic Worker, is about just that, about how we we misread the cultural situation, lest we view it as the complete nullification of the relevance of God, church, Christ, sacraments, and its replacement with something utterly nihilistic, reductively naturalistic, Mm -hmm. consumeristic, and that that's the cultural. And then therefore, Mm -hmm. we need to rewild and reweird Christianity as a kind of response to that, which is why status quo Catholicism is dead. dead. All right. And and you teach young people. I used to teach young people. We know this. We're boots on the ground. We get the fact that these little techno that we're teaching, you know, yeah, they, yeah. The, the and, you, and you're not saying that. It, like, and you're not saying that as an attack on those kids and those. No, students, right? not that's were, what they being, are. You were being descriptive of it, right? They are. They are. Yeah, I, I love this that. is them. This is I'm, them. I'm, you I'm know, totally the whole world. Steal that. Their whole world right. is filtered through this. That's right. Okay, that's as my right. friend Mark Stallman always says, we live in this digital age, and yet the church continues to think analog, analog, analog. Totally agree. And and, and the fact is, all of these. Actually, actually, I would, I would, I would, I would actually say that the church is just bought into the digital. They just do it poorly. Oh, just, yeah, that's just, true. Just, just to make a, because I know, think actually we could go back to some kind, reclaim some kind of analog reality. But I'm getting us off track. Well, right. it's like the synod on the youth, and you saw cardinals right. of the church 
standing up and dancing to rap oh. music and crap. You know, God is there anything more cringeworthy, no, no. more nauseating, more right. absolutely infuriating than to see the church say, this is what we need to do to be relevant to young people. It's we need so to dumb. get hip hop and, yeah. and, and do yeah. rap in church and stuff. Yeah. Everybody needs to put on a rainbow sash and prance yeah. around the, the yeah. sanctuary. Are you kidding me? This is a recipe for catastrophe. Yeah. And anybody, everybody in their blind hamster pet knows that it's a recipe for catastrophe. Mm. Anybody that's involved. And the only people who can't see it are people who are so imbued and taken up into the the idea the LGBTQ ideology and the feminist ideology of our era. And, and that's why I've been hammering away at this idea that anybody who doesn't think that this is what the leaders of the synod are really about. You mentioned, OK, for example, everyone's welcome. The Pope's tutti, tutti, everyone. And yet this is the Pope of Tradiciones Custodes. This is the Pope trashing any any conservative priest or conservative Catholic who wants the old ways or something like that. He doesn't. Yeah. Are they part of the Tutti, Holy Father? Tutti, Tutti. It's very clear. It's very clear. He doesn't mean by Tutti the unrepentant Nazis, unrepentant rapists, unrepented, right. you know, anti-Semites and misogynists are welcome in the church. And he also is very clear that uh, Latin mass lovers are not really welcomed in the church. Uh, climate change deniers are not really welcome in the church. So who in the heck is he talking about when he says Tutti, Tutti? Oh, he means the wide boulevard of average secular people today. That's right. what he means. That and, I, and I would even of, go ahead. I, I would and I would even just add that I, I think what I think what that is going at is even more specifically just the sort of the Rainbow Coalition crowd. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the or the alphabet That's crowd, code. whatever. Tutti is his yeah. code for, for inclusion, yeah. diversity. I think so too. I think which so is too. in I mean everybody knows it's such an empty and vapid form of rhetoric. When all of these synodal leaders and the various press releases and when I was in Rome and when I talked to the few people that I know who were involved in this, Senate, they were all saying yeah. there's all this. The, 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 the aggravating thing, as I said in my last article, that they were, you know, this is, there's no theological substance to any of this. Yeah. It all plays in the sandbox of pop psychology, pop sociology and the jargonistic language mm -hmm. of, of modern, you know, Dr. Phil and Oprahism and so on. This yeah. inclusion, diversity. Mm -hmm. And yet everybody knows that those are code for something. Mm -hmm. They don't. You, 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 if you were to press them on that and say, in, do you mean in the inclusion of uh, skinhead neo-Nazis mm -hmm. who, who have a compound someplace in rural Pennsylvania training people to shoot AK-47s, you know, at, at the dummies right. of, you know, the mock dummies of minorities and so forth and immigrants. Is that who's tutti? Is that mm -hmm. who's included? No, they don't mean that. It's just code. Mm -hmm. It's code for the Rainbow Coalition. It's code for the alphabet people. And what so you just want ask is. Some honesty, some just blunt honesty as to that's what they're after. That's what they want, which is why they don't care about listening. They yeah. don't give a darn about listening yeah. because they only listen to what they wanted to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I said that I said something to the effect of that early on in the Senate. I was like, look, just just come out and say the thing. OK, this is what I want you to say, because I'm an adult. Yeah. Right. And, and I can I can handle it. All right. This is what I want. The, the the pushers of the synodal way to say. I want them to say this, Larry. So we, you know, the inheritors oh. of of this 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 institution, you know, that goes back, you know, a couple of thousand years, realize that what we have been teaching for a vast majority of those two thousand years or so um is wrong. It's wrong and we're a little bit embarrassed that it's wrong. 
but um, we feel a strong need to take and rectify the error. And we want to rectify this error and we want to apologize it. And not only what, what must we change, um, but we need to you know, take this in a new direction. And um, in order to take us in a new direction, we need to um, move away from discussions of um, um, perennial teaching. We need to move away from discussions of, of a magisterium and tradition. And we really just need to do a new thing, a truly new thing. And it's novel. And yeah. it's going to be a little bit rocky, but that's what we're doing here. We're, we're changing it. And, and, and there it is. Now, they can't and won't say that, right? That's um, right. If 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 I'm, I think I'm right about this. Actually, I, I oh no, I they call it development of doctrine, development. Right. Yeah, but they won't tell you the truth, right? No. They're going to they're going to Trojan horse this thing in such a way, you know, that they can't say it. So I don't know, Larry. Like when I hear about you know the 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 the, the Pope's project or you know the the current magisterium, I I, I look at it with a certain amount of incredulity because i i can't believe that he and and his his crew think it'll work and then i ask myself the question all right well what do i mean by work right because i'm operating under the assumption that you want to spread the gospel build the church grow the church right but maybe they're coming at it from a different set of priors maybe their desire is is to do something that will end the church I yes. mean, I, and then again, I, I hate myself for even saying these things out loud. No, but um, what else am I to conclude, brother? Well, there was, you know, it, you know, once again, this could be a generational thing because mm -hmm. I'm old enough to remember, uh, for example, in the 1970s, that there was a. It began in Protestant circles, but then it became there were Catholic versions of it. This the secularization idea that modern secularity is not something contrary to the Christian faith but the natural fruition of the Christian faith, mm -hmm. that Christianity actually creates this domain of the profane mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to the sacred. Sacred, yeah, yeah. And, and that in the incarnation, Christ kind of takes the entire world of the profane up into God, and therefore the entire profane world is already engraced. Mm -hmm. This is sort of Ronarianism on steroids, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. grace... So we need to break down these barriers and these walls between those in the church and those out. The church is a kind of privileged uh, sort of locus for grace, but grace is really everywhere. And over time, this then just becomes, you know, the church is kind of an irrelevant. The church has created secularity, and now Christianity has simply dissolved yeah. into secularity. Right. And that maybe, this is a kind of Joachim of Fiori sort of on steroids. Yeah, yeah. Did, now it, it we're in an age, we are third in age. age. Yeah. There was the age of Christ, the Father, and then there's the age of Christ. Now we're in the age of the Spirit, Spirit. Spirit. which is everywhere. And right. that the church is now, no, and the sacraments are, no, and the institution are no longer necessary. Because so, Christianity so, has actually succeeded. Christianity right. did its work. It right. created a Christian civilization. Now, everyone is a Christian, whether they know it or not. And so we don't need Christianity anymore. Yeah. And I'm not certain how conscious the, the modern right. Right. liberal Catholics right. are of that, right. but they are right. the heirs. They are the heirs of this notion that everything is already so engraced that there's really nothing special at all about being a Catholic. Right. In so, fact, and this accounts for why they're so intent on criticizing those of us who really do still believe that there's something yeah. important. You're backwardist. You're still that's clinging right. to in this the notion. Atris, in the atrismos. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Well, you know, just so your audience, you know, you you invoked Joachim of Flores, and and just so everyone knows that he's sort of an early millenarianist, and he believed that there was an age of there's the age of God the Father, which is roughly speaking the Old Testament. There's the age of God the Son, which was sort of the early church up until now, which was what around fifteen hundred thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. I know I'm being very loose with my numbers here, and now we are going to birth the age of the Spirit, and this is not a new game. My no. friend, this invocation of the age of the spirit has been used and abused since like, you know, the time of St. Francis, by the way, even okay. before you go to the early church right. variants of Gnosticism with the right. Montanists and the right. enthusiasts, you know, right. hey, I'm getting the word of knowledge with all these spirits right. that the Pope is full of it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. And like, this is a real thing. And I actually I just read a great piece that Amy Wellborn um, um, put out in uh, 2021 talking about the discernment of spirit. And I thought it was really good and really relevant. And, and I it, love and Amy. It, she's, big, she's fantastic. Everybody should go to Amy Wellborn's uh, blog. Yeah, she's she's amazing. So good. Yeah. yeah, she's great. She's really grounded. She's a serious person. I really appreciate her work. I really, really do. Mm-hmm. But um, she... Um, uh, she does a good work there, just talking about the necessary, the, the necessity to discern the spirit. And 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 now let's bring this to the to the to the to to our current um, part one of our two part story called the Synod on Synodality. And remember, as Pope Francis reminded everyone in 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 the hall, uh, the hall of tables. Um, <laughs> the that sorry uh that that you know he uh, I wrote this down because I wanted to get this I wanted to make sure I got this. Um, clear, but he said, um, remember, remember, the Holy Spirit is the protagonist of this synod. Yes. Now, boy, that's it's a masterstroke, isn't it? Right? Because yeah. the Holy Spirit is like kind of gameable. You know, like yeah. you said, I can get a word, <laughs> you know, I can I can oh, I, know. I can I can use this because every flim flam artist worth his salt will invoke the spirit, the power of the spirit. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was, when he said that, I I, I went back to my youth in the 70s and had a sort of reminiscence of a, of a Monty Python moment, like uh, strange women lying in pawns, distributing souls. There's no basis so, for a system of government. Admit, Supreme yeah. executive power derives in a mandate from the masses, not some farcical aquatic experience. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I cast around wow. saying I'm an emperor just because some moistened bink lugged a scimitar at me. All right. And that's what I thought. I thought you can't sit around. You, this is, People sit around round tables with a facilitator, you yeah. know, can't claim the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, but yet they do. Listen to them. It's 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 insane, you know, and I do know from talking with and I don't want to give away any confidences, you yeah. know, people who were in this in the Synodal Hall, you know, said it saying that one of the one of the, the, the most aggravating things was the fact that you're supposedly having these free floating conversations at the table. And yet there was a facilitator mm-hmm. who would occasionally overstep, you know, his bounds. And so uh, I don't think you really want to put it that way. Do you really want to say that that? Wow. Could be, you know, oh, wait, wow. and it was always when a conservative spoke, right, that the facilitator would step in and say, perhaps we can think about a never a different form of language. That wasn't the, supposedly the role of the facilitator. All right. So I so, guess so the, I, the Holy it, Spirit it, is really speaking through only the facilitators. Right. So there they're must the have ones, been, a, you know, it, well, there the must have been a meeting. Banks. Well, there must have been a meeting before the meeting, if I'm if I'm hearing this correctly. Right. Oh, I'm there was. I, I know I'm being I'm being 
Totally. Yeah. I'm being a jerk right now. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there, there must have been a listening session before the listening session, because in the listening section before the this current listening session, um, uh, the Holy Spirit clearly said that there were certain sort of uh, guardrails to this conversation that we're allowed to have. So the spirit is going to. So it's a pre-curated thing. It's like it's just oh the the, the utter. Oh, oh, and that's why, you know, people have been critical of me, you know, not just liberals, but even some, you know, mainstream conservative people on my Facebook page saying, you know, you're you're being too hard on these listening sessions. And so on. I my experience and my listening session was great. And what I would say to them and some of them are really smart people, really good people. And I don't mean to if they had a good experience in listening sessions and I'm glad and I'm sure that and I am sure that some of the listening sessions run by good bishops, good priests, whatever, were actually probably very good. Th- yeah. th- that's not the point. The point is how serious, in other words, it, um, I don't know who was it. Somebody wrote to me and said, uh, oh, I think it was Father Stephen Morgan, uh, who's a wonderful priest who's in China, uh, said, you know, none of the questions that were asked in listening sessions uh, were were developed in a scientific way according to the standard protocols of well-established protocols of modern poll tech. Modern polls are very accurate. I mean, yeah. there's an entire branch of sociology involved in the creation of accurate polling data. Mm-hmm. And 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 the, the science is out there for anyone to avail. Nothing about these listening sessions was in any way, shape or form designed to be a true, a true taking of the pulse of the people of God. It was instead clearly intended from the get go to be a sort of set of leading questions, you know, over your morning granola, please, ex- please describe your experience of marginalization in the church that you yeah. had that morning. And, and why no, you're you upset because me? you're not a priest or right No, I know. Oh, yeah, it's, exactly. So, it, it, you know, oh, come on. And yeah. then, of course, they were curated and then sent on to Rome. And, you know, just like with the supposed survey of bishops that was done in order oh, to justify traditionalism. Yeah, have yeah, we yeah. ever have we yeah. ever seen the actual results of those surveys, the actual comments that bishops sent in? And you have won't. we? No, Larry, and you won't because won't. the, and the you job won't. was done. It was you know the job was done. That's right. They, yeah, they achieved nobody, what it needed to achieve. And nobody gives a darn what the bishops actually really said. Nobody in Francis's Vatican gave a darn what the bishops actually said. We had a survey, and we're going to use that survey as a pretext for doing what we were going to do anyway. And that's so, how I felt about the listening sessions. And that's very clear then in the Synod uh, on the big meeting on meetings. Uh, the facilitators right. didn't give a darn about the conservative voices. All they cared about was, in a sense, making sure that this dialogue went in the right direction. Yeah. And, and I think, Larry, that that's what I struggle with so much is that there's this, you know, there's another name that we can call this, this ruse, right? And it's systemic lying yeah right and and i and i know i I fear that i'm going to come across as sort of being overly sort of simplistic and pithy but you invoked um a few minutes ago um well you know okay so an example i'll give you an example so the pope uh was quoted uh, a few days ago saying that, you know, it was impossible um, for um, uh, women to be, uh, to receive holy orders, right? And, and yet they're having all these sort of listening sessions about them, and right? And so, so one campus says, see, you know, the Pope himself said that, you know, women can't um, receive holy orders. 
And and then the other people like, but but we're having these listening sessions about it. And so I'm I'm asking you the question, like, well, what is that? Like, what 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 is going on with that? Right? I I, I don't know yeah. what I don't know what it is. Like, so so um, there's this guy that I follow. He's a I don't even know what he is. He's he but he's a, a pope splainer, I guess you would call. Him. He's very you know big on Pope Francis, and you know he says he says today. Um, there is number. There is one, uh, the Pope Francis, who has spoken definitively against female deacons, relaxation of relaxation of clerical celibacy and same-sex blessings. And number two, the Pope Francis, who is actively facilitating facilitating further discernment regarding these issues. Question, as he says, which is the real Pope Francis? And I find it fascinating um, that this is a question. Now, he's a a big fan of sort of liberalizing measures in, in in the church and therefore he's a big fan of what he thinks Pope Francis is going to do um, or wants Pope Francis to do but he's asking like which version of Pope Francis is the real real Pope Francis and and, and I think it's a good framing of the question I, I appreciate his honesty frankly in in laying this out but then I'm left with this sort of strange question like are we just like that's lying that's lying like what are you doing I mean you know what which one is the real one i'm not saying that that i'm saying the pope is being misleading or cagey about something that's just a fancy way of saying he's lying one of those like neither of these two things can be true at the same time right simple logic right a thing cannot both be and not be at the same time okay boom okay which one is it How, what, is, what game yeah, is he playing yeah later? yeah uh, that's why i said in my last article i said you know i'm really tired of trying to figure this pope out uh, you do you know you do the math. You connect the dots based on who it is he's promoted and so forth. Right, right. But the fact is, there is a huge enigma with regard to this pope. We can engage in armchair psychologizing from a distance and say maybe he's just deeply psychologically, emotionally conflicted internally. Maybe right. there's a war going on in the soul and the mind of, right. of Pope Francis, and so that he really is of two minds, or maybe mm-hmm. he really does suffer from some kind of neurosis or bipolarism, whatever you want to call it. Um, But, uh, you know, I don't none of us have any way of knowing Uh, there's there's also then the point of view. And this is the one that I do gravitate towards. And it seems Mm -hmm. to be your point of view. The pope is a liar. Uh, He's an Argentinian thug and he's a liar. And he and I'm not going to I used to say he's mendacious or he's deceptive. But that's like you just that's a sugarcoated. I, I think mm-hmm. he's a liar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a morally bad man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took me a long time. I mean, in the first five or six years of this papacy, I was a big defender of Pope Francis. Yeah. And when I first started my blog, go back and look at the very origins of my blog. Three and a half. Who did I write against? I wrote against Taylor Marshall. I wrote yeah. against Mike Voris. I yeah. wrote against yeah. Vigano. I wrote against the yeah. Rad Trads uh, because I thought that they were doing great damage to the church and their constant attacks on Pope Francis. I And I still think they threw the baby out with the bathwater. As a friend of mine in Rome, priest friend of mine in Rome said to me, one of the things we do have to be careful of in criticizing this pope is that when he's gone, we still have a papacy left. Uh, you know, that we don't want to be yeah, so scorched I, I, earth and we can talk about that. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I w- but I would say, you know, it, it is a refusal on the part of the men in charge of our church at multiple levels. It is a refusal to be forthright and truthful um, that has given 
um, ample fuel for those men on YouTube, yeah. et cetera, to, to, to burn through because they, yeah. it's not like they lack for good material. I mean, I could go on every day and do this and, you know, I, you know, you can do that, you know, you can do the Taylor Marshall thing if you want, because there's enough, um, <clears throat> ambiguity out there, you know, to, to, because and people are, are, are worried. I mean, this, like this thing that you care about, right. This, 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 yeah. this faith that you have been given and that you see as a kind of bulwark against the insanity of our world and make no mistake about it. Our world is crazy, crazy right now. Right. And it, it teaches an anti-gospel and it spreads an anti-gospel. Yeah. You know, you look to the church to be the bulwark against that sort of thing. Um, and 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 to be bold in its witness to the gospel. And all you see around it are pictures of Father James Martin and Sister Jean Gramick saying, guys, we need to stop being so prudish about this sort of stuff. We need to let people be who they are. Like, you know, you need to let, you know, them be who they really are. Again, faulty, faulty, faulty anthropology really, 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 really matters, right? But we won't talk about that yeah. because we want to be kind and all this sort of stuff. I think it's garbage. I really, I do think it is garbage. It is garbage. And it's not going to end well, right? And so, so here we are at the end here, Larry. We've got this part one of this expanded. Remember, it was only supposed to be one October, but it was expanded about a year ago to be 2023 and 2024, right? And so now we're in this sort of, we're going to enter in this 11-month period, which um, Father Radcliffe, good Father Radcliffe has said, this is sort of this time of germination, you know, this 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 time where, where you know, it'll be fallow, but things are happening underneath and growing. So that when we come back in the 11th, so I want to ask you what you think about, number one, the expansion of it from one October to two Octobers, right? And what do you think, you know, we, we the part one happened and, and everybody's kind of like, oh, it was kind of a nothing burger. What do you anticipate about this 11 month period and 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 and, and round two? I'll get to that in a second, but I do want to. OK, sorry. Focus on one thing that you yeah. said about uh, it's a flawed anthropology. Uh, my, my very good friend, uh, Father Robert Imbelli, who taught he's a theologian, taught yes. for years at Boston yes. College. He yeah. was in seminary in Rome during the council. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he's a very, very conversant on, on the theology of Vatican. A great Rome. article you've shared before on his work on that Vatican. Really, really, oh, really yeah. Great. yeah. Wonderful, wonderful man to a gentleman, a, a, a holy guy. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so I love I love me some Bob Imbelli and. And one of the things that he's constantly harping on is the, the fact that, you know, the centerpiece of Vatican II was the development of this Christocentric theological totally. anthropology. Yeah. Look at my blog, Gaudium et Spes 22, 20, section yeah. 22 is, you know, in reality, it's only in the, in the light of the, you know, the incarnation of Christ that the mystery of man, right. you know, it's fully, is revealed. Yeah, yeah, it's fully yeah, yeah. revealed. All right. So, and John Paul was fully, you know, involved in, in the articulation of that as De Lubac. So it's the centerpiece of the council was this, in my opinion, Christocentric theological anthropology. And that was the centerpiece of the JP2 and Benedict papacies. That's what's being deconstructed now. Yes. This yes. is what this papacy is dishonest about, that it is simply in continuity with these previous papacies, when in fact it really is a wholesale deconstruction of the theological and the Christocentric theological anthropology of the council and the past two popes, uh, and, and its replacement with a, an extremely superficial sociological anthropology yeah that is very secular in its understanding mm -hmm. and very uh, in some ways, insofar as it has a notion of sin, very Lutheran 
insofar yeah. as it has this notion that sin is, is, is essentially a wound in within us that is so intractable, mm-hmm. so unsolvable that its perdurance in individuals is impervious to grace. And that's why we have to accompany them and why we have to bless where they are, because there's no way that they can get out of these circumstances. No way they can. Right. Because ultimately sin is more powerful than grace. And that exactly. And that is utterly contrary to the past two pontificates, contrary to Vatican II, contrary to that theological anthropology. So I tip my hat to Father Mbelli for pointing out this is the crisis of our age. This is what this synod is trying to deconstruct. So next 11 months, it's going to be, I think the reason why they went from one session to two is because once the listening sessions got started and they realized that the overall Catholic participation was around 1% worldwide, Mm -hmm. that the lay people didn't give a damn about the listening sessions, that they couldn't care less about rearranging the ecclesial deck chairs as the ship was sinking and and these bureaucratic discussions of what what, what are we talking about again? What exactly are we talking about again? Oh, it's a synod and synodality and we want your view. Well, what? All right. And so when they realized that and even Pope Francis said like a few months ago, right before the opening of the synod, he goes, I am well aware that the average Catholic probably doesn't think this is very important and that they don't really care about any of this because it just seems so inward looking and navel staring and all that. I still think it's important. So in other words, that was the acknowledgement from the Pope himself. And I think his advisors began to understand this. This whole synod is going to turn into a nothing burger because if we just do one session, because there is no, as they expected what happened, there was no groundswell from below of all of these pro LGBTQ Catholics and all these pro women's ordination Catholics and pro divorce and remarriage Catholics and pro contraception Catholics. There wasn't this huge groundswell of parish halls being filled with, you know, I'm here, I'm queer, get used to it kind of Catholics. They just weren't there. Mm-hmm. And instead, we got, you know, we got the usual one percent of super active Catholics in their parishes showing up uh, and, and they realized, hmm, OK, so here's what we need to do. First, we need to meet in October 23 and we need to establish processes. We need to establish a buzz. We need to get people interested in this buzz. And then when 2023 is over with, everybody needs to go back and we need to start talking again about what we did in Rome in 2023. And so I've had several people say to me, you know, who are close to the Senate saying, you know, look at the next 11 months. These next 11 months are going to be critical because this is where the Pope's flying monkeys are going to be shooting out of the witch's castle. Okay. Going out into the church to spread this message of synodality and look what we did. And we need to listen more and listen more and listen more. And we're going to keep listening to you until we get the answers that we want. And so in 2024, we're going to then have all the pieces in place uh, for really putting forward a final document uh, that has some teeth to it. Well, we're we're clearly calling for women's ordination and LGBTQ and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And yet leaving completely unaddressed the ecclesial, the ecclesial anomaly that this entire process represents. 2,000 years of Catholic ecclesiology has never, ever, ever viewed uh, a, a, a synod of, of bishops and lay people and so forth as small as 300 some people meeting in Rome uh, to be the determiners of a radical change of Catholic doctrine. That's not Vatican II. That's not the tradition of the church. Right. And yet that's what their aim is. Their aim is to get 
a curated group of 300 some people together after the ground has been softened by repeated bombardments and artillery pounding. Right. Well, that, right. yeah, thank you. Thank you. Exactly. That's right. That's right. The, the caves of Iwo Jima are right now being are going to be assaulted by the battleships offshore. OK. And once they're softened, the troops are going to come ashore. All right. And the next so the next synod after the next 11 months is going to be where the rubber meets the road. We'll see. Maybe this pope won't even be around next year. God bless him. I'm I'm certainly trust me. I'm not just saying I don't wish death no, upon no, anyone. Not yeah, anyone. Um, I would hope, though, he would resign. <laughs> just yeah. Um, well, I, well, you know, anyway. you know what I, you know. What strikes me is what you lay out, and and that sounds very plausible to me. Just just if you're if you're wondering, <laughs> I yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's sort of this eleven months is sort of a period of further tenderizing the meat so that it takes on a good yeah. sear or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. What really strikes me about it, Larry, is the utter um, flatness of this vision. It is it is uninspiring, and I and I'm being kind of literal with that. You know, in to inspire is to sort of inspirit something, right? It's utterly flat and devoid of any kind of metaphysical reality. I mean, none. You know, you talk about wanting to rewild Christianity and reweird Christianity. I am right on board, brother. Absolutely, but nothing about this synod has anything to do with matters of the spirit um any no. kind of elevation any kind of um vertical um event horizon this is so horizontal this is so uh yeah. uh eminent it, it has nothing to do with the supernatural and i and i guess i'm at the end of the day or at the end of at least this podcast i'm offended i'm offended that the power of jesus christ is completely ignored and instead we're going to kind of go along to get along then then i ask you larry what the heck do i need the church for anyway what exactly yeah. larry is the good news about this synod on synodality well the the in one sense as, as i have said in response to some to some people and that sort of brings us back to the beginning of our mm -hmm. podcast here with regard to the crisis of faith that that mm -hmm. that, that people are undergoing uh what good is the church and so on i just keep trying to remind people that the the, the task of the church is to bring christ contemporaneously to yeah. us yeah. Uh, the resurrected christ doesn't exist in heaven he exists it through the sacraments through our saints through the channels of grace that are present to us in the church and her teachings to us here and now. Now that's catechism yeah. 101. Yeah, exactly. That's sort of boilerplate pietistical yeah. Catholicism. And it's a Catholicism, however, that I believe in with every fiber of my being, a Christ that is not mediated to us reliably by a reliable mediator, i.e. the church is a Christ yeah. locked in the first century or yeah. a, a, a Christ of simple Gnostic internal sort of illumination that becomes a sort of chaotic, a chaotic jumble. Uh, and, and so what good is the church? I think that we need to keep historical perspective here. The sacraments are still valid. The gospels are still there. Sanctity is still at our fingertips. There are still modern day saints out there doing the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Let's not get so caught up in ecclesiastical politics and ecclesiastical affairs that we ignore the fact that that the the grind the daily grind of of our living our vocations of being holy of 
attending the sacraments and doing all of those things per doers and actually still has value. I mean, I just went to confession last week, went to mass at our ordinary parish yesterday. uh, And I just felt just the, when I went to confession after, you know, I've been in Rome and traveling all over. I just felt this powerful wave of grace coming over me. And I walked out and saying, see, Christ is still present in his church. It was a wonderful priest that I went to a passionist priest at a shrine uh, in Scranton near where I live. Wonderful uh, older priest. And, uh, you know, I just felt this power. And then, of course, when I went to mass yesterday at the ordinary, beautiful choir Mm -hmm. and and wonderful sermon. And so many fellow Catholics that I know and love there. I, 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 after communion was over, I I was tears were welling Mm -hmm. up in my head Mm -hmm. because I've just spent the past two months of my life immersed in the garbage of the church, you know, and in her politics. And I know that a lot of people are tired of it too. I feel a kind of vocational obligation to speak on these matters. People are wondering, why are you harping on that? Well, I, because not because I want to trust me, it's not because I want to, I feel as if it's almost a vocational obligation to speak on these matters right now, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. Christ is still there. The church is Mm -hmm. now that being said, what then do we make of the fact that I think the Pope is a morally bad man. Yeah. All I, I, I keep telling people this. We were blessed for over 100 years with some of the greatest popes in the history of the church. I mean, how do you, I mean, even going back to a Pius X or Pius XI is a forgotten pope, great man, <coughs> wonderful pope, Pius XII, and then all the post-conciliar saintly popes. We were, we were very spoiled by that, and we were, a whole cult of piety began to develop around the papacy, right? Uh, the, the, he almost became like an oracle on the Tiber, a sort of saintly voice on the Tiber, so that there was this exaggerated sense that the Pope is Catholicism, Catholicism is the Pope. But what it, what it obscured was the reality that in previous eras, the church has not only had some bad popes, she has some, had some horrifically bad popes. None of them taught formal heresy, but were morally bad men. I mean, very bad men, right? And I don't have time to go into all the, but there are, you know, 10, 20 examples of really horrible popes. And I don't even think Pope Francis rises to the moral turpitude of those dudes. You know, mm-hmm. the guys who were buying and selling offices and, had children out of wedlock and, you know, were engaged in all kinds. Read Dante or Erasmus. You know, it's very, very. Exactly. Oh, that, I mean, you're a Dante expert and lover, you know, just read Dante for a sense of what medieval people thought of, of the, of the popes of their era. Okay. And so what I just say to people is, look, this too shall pass. We have, in my opinion, what I like to say to people politely, a clunker of a pope, right? That's the best way, the most charitable way. He's a clunker. He, he's, he's an Edsel. He's not a good pope. Uh, I don't think he's a heretic. I think he's the real pope, but I think he is a pastoral train wreck. Mm-hmm. And I think that he is not a morally decent person quite often. And, and I would have not said that maybe a few months ago. But the Father Rupnik affair has led me to believe that he that Pope Francis really is not a morally upright man, Mm -hmm. Uh, that how can one turn a blind eye to the victimization of of Rupnik's victims, uh, turn a blind eye to that and and some of the other people that Pope Francis and, and still 
and still then lay claim to the mantle of I'm, I'm a morally decent human being. Yeah. I mean, you're a teacher. I was a teacher. Mm-hmm. If I had known, you know, of, of a fellow teacher in my school that was a priest, for example, that was engaged in the ritual, ritualized sexual abuse and the altar in the school's chapel of teenage girls or boys or whatever. And I knew about it and said absolutely nothing and then actively tried to poo poo it all when it came to light and discourage criticism. I would be I would be rightly condemned as a morally bad man, yeah. a compl- um, um, at Amen. least, you know, uh, and so I say to people, OK, there's no I, I, in my mind. Here's how I deal with it. All right. I don't think we have a good pope. I think we have a morally bad pope even. But he's just one pope among many. And he's too, this too shall pass. And hopefully the next one will be a more a more morally upright man, a more intelligent man, a more a man more concerned with the, the sort of theology and doctrine of the church and her moral theology. You know, and, and we need to pray for that. We need to pray that the next pope is, is a better one, you know, and then just sort of sit back and say, OK, uh, we got this synod thing. This pope is hanging on and God knows what's going to come of it. But for now, God's in charge. We got a bad pope. Well, let's move on. I, I, my only pushback here is I, I think we need to be serious about what he has exposed about our conceptions of the church and and the papacy. And I, and I really do. I, I mean this very sort of soberly yeah. and really, and I'm not a theologian. I never pretended to be a theologian. I'm, I'm a, a, a layman who cares deeply about these things because I believe the witness um, um, to the world um, that the church should represent is absolutely essential. But I worry that what he is gets away with um is a diagnosis of a corruption in the system that we need to take seriously. Not, not the people who would enjoy seeing the church torn down. Yes. Um, not people who, who want to see the moral teachings of the church flipped on its, on its head and, and rendered irrelevant. But those of us who do take the gospel seriously need to also take what the, the phenomena of Pope Francis seriously. And, I don't know, Larry. You know, you you're 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 more clued in, you know, than I am. Um, but but I watch these things um, from my little hole here in my little Hobbit hole up here in Rhode Island, and it doesn't look like people are getting it. The people in charge don't seem to be getting what's going on, and 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 the. The, the things that Pope Francis has done are not neutral and and they have caused real real harm um to faithful people and and so much of that harm is done by weaponizing a kind of natural and supernatural piety that has been ingrained in us as Catholics yes um and it works against um you know it works against that natural piety. And they've been able to get away with a lot of things because we're supposed to respect the Pope and we're supposed to love the Pope and all those kinds of things. And I'm not fighting about those. I'm not, I'm not, but, but he poses a peculiar problem to those of us who would say out loud as both you and I do that we love the Pope and we pray for the Pope. And it's not, it's, it's not just like a technicality, I guess is what I'm saying. No, Catholics are to pray and love the Pope, the office. 
That's why you kiss his ring. Mm-hmm. OK, it, it, you're not you're not reverencing the man so much yeah. as, as the office. And, and mm-hmm. so uh, and what you just said is not so much pushback against what I said. It's actually a kind of it's a complementarity to yeah. what I said, yeah. because it, in counseling people to take a deep breath, take a step back, look at church history, take the long view, realize we've had bad popes before. That's a, a, a counsel that I give to people to sort of talk them off the ledge. Mm-hmm. The fact is, they're still ledge adjacent, <laughs> uh, and that that doesn't really, in a uh, sense, help them too much. It helps them not take the leap into sede vacantism or go off to SSPX sure. or or simply sure, sure. into agnosticism and religious sure. indifference, sure. as with you know, like a Steve Skojak, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, who I like, yeah, uh, but, a, good, uh, a very good friend of mine, very very good. Oh well, yeah, of mine. I love Steve. Steve's mm-hmm. brutally honest guy. And that's what I love about him. But, you know, he's clearly, you know, he's gone off that ledge yep, in terms of yep. I'm not a Catholic anymore. Yeah. Yep. And oh, God bless him. That's his right now. Um, but what I would say is that you're exactly right. That, that, that at, in some sense, therefore, we're presented with a unique opportunity here. Instead of sitting back and lamenting and say, oh, woe is us. We've got this terrible pope who's destroying things in the church that we love. I was I I've been kind of sitting back lately and saying, okay, even though this pope doesn't want to rewild Christianity the way I do, mm-hmm. even though his make a mess isn't the same kind of mess that I want to make, mm-hmm. and even though his destruction of status quo Catholicism doesn't have the same aim and motive yep. and view yeah, yeah, as, yeah. as I would have, nevertheless, there is an opportunity here to finally say, okay, there's a kind of version of Catholicism that had developed over the past couple hundred years, especially after Vatican one that created. And and here's what has to change when you talk about structures Mm -hmm. that created this sense. And and you still see this amongst even some very good theologians who was whose names I won't mention. Okay. Very good. who, Who believe that the Holy spirit not only preserves the Pope from making errors in faith and morals, when he teaches authoritatively about the Holy spirit, not only, prevents the Pope from doing that. There is this whole school of thought that says the Holy Spirit even guides the Pope's prudential judgments. That's right. Yeah. And that therefore we are wrong as Catholics, even to question the prudential decisions of a Pope, because even those are guided by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah, And that then caused this rise of this enormous sort of pietistical structure around the papacy where Every single pope, simply in virtue of the fact that they're pope, were viewed as as being Glenda the Good Witch, yeah, wrapped yeah, yeah. in a bubble. You no, know, it's interesting and- that you you invoke magic. I was exactly going to use that. I think it's it's turned the papacy into some sort of like you know Dumbledore the wizard, right? Who who, who yeah. can't do anything wrong. And as much as I like the character Dumbledore and Harry Potter, I that that you know we we can't just sort of pretend. You know this. I think you're exactly right. I think that's exactly and, and, right. and what what church history shows us, and I think what the current pope shows us, is that there's simply no way that that idea is tenable any longer. No, no it's uh, dumb. It's so dumb. It, 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 it's a, such a silly idea to believe yeah. that every, not simply authoritative magisterial encyclicals articulating faith and morals in explicit ways are preserved from error. It's also every single prudential move he makes right. is to be known. Yeah, Pope. Yeah, but, but 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 Larry, I mean, just like you said, just like a simple perusal of just the the greatest hits of of papal skullduggery over the years, right? It's like was Nicholas the Third? Are we? Am, am I to respect Nicholas the Third's prudential judgment when he was selling in you know church offices and doing all kinds of awful things? Like, why? Why? Wh- how? How dare I question that? 
Like what? Come on, yeah. man. Like I'm an or, adult. Give me, give the, me some. Are, are the prudential judgment of a, of a pope or even of an entire ecumenical council when it says, well, we're going to turn John Huss over to the civil authorities knowing full right. well that he's going to be right. executed. Yeah. He's going to be. Well, we, we're not doing the executing. We're going to give him to the people who will do the executing. What, what, that, 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 that's that's um, uh, that's uh, Caiaphas. I mean, that's Caiaphas levels of, of, of <laughs> yeah. degeneracy. Yeah. I mean, come on. people. Uh, yeah. You know, when you got the Council of Constance saying, you know, you know, yeah. well, we're not going to put him to death. We're going to turn him over to the civil authorities. And we know damn well what's going to happen yeah, when yeah, we yeah, do. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And so what about the prudential judgment? Uh, uh, those things. I, I just don't think there's any tenable way. Uh, in other words, I think that given our current circumstances, now is a great opportunity for us to uh, nuance our understanding of what it means to respect the papal office, yeah. what it means to show a kind of religious devotion to the office of Peter as such. And I think we need to at least encourage the idea that it is okay to criticize the episiscopal decisions and prudential decisions of a pope, but and, and therefore, and therefore, respectfully, right, absolutely, yeah. and therefore, I think we really have to sort of have a kind of working model of what's the difference between grace and compelling magic, because yes, grace is not compelling magic. Right, grace has to be accepted and. And, and 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 taken right cooperated with cooperated with thank you that's the word i'm looking for it's not like oh i i i have now sort of been voted on by the college of cardinals to become pope saint you know pope francis the third and therefore like uh, even if i wanted to like do this thing like i'm somehow magically stopped from doing something like well no i'm still a human being and i'm operating in this office but i can operate my office poorly and i think that that's sort of part of your point here is that yeah. yes you know that 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 it, you have to maintain that it is actually possible for a pope to do bad things. Like I, I can't believe I have even have to like say this out loud. Yeah. But yeah. But but you know you get you get policed. Uh, you know right out of the church if you were dared to suggest such a thing to certain people who have real influence. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's why it's it's if it's if it's church doctrine, and I think there are some low level church doctrines that say this. That the Holy Spirit does guide the Pope even in his prudential decisions. I've seen quotes from yeah. various. It doesn't necessarily mean that the Pope is listening to that guidance. That's right. Okay? Yeah, that's right. A, a magical view of the papacy would say that it's some sort of automatic thing that the yeah. Holy Spirit does inside of a Pope to make sure that all of his prudential decisions are proper ones. But right. that ignores the fact, as you just said, the Pope is a human being and he is fallible and he is sinful. Yeah. And he is capable of resisting the guidance of the Holy Spirit quite often. And I would just say this, and I, I know we, we've got to wrap up here because I actually have to go teach class here in a second. Oh, oh, um, yeah. oh look where we are. We've been here yeah. forever. Yeah. And I know you probably have some farm animals to attend to, et cetera. But, um, oh, and I think I just lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, um, I think I think we have to take seriously that there are motivated parties and spirits who wish to undermine the gospel. Yes. And those can be very sophisticated actors um, and systems in place. And um, it can even take on the form of a synod on synodality. Oh, let's leave it at that because 
maybe we need to do a part two to this conversation. Love All it, right. Love it. But, but anyway, hey, I know you got to go teach. I do yeah. have some things I got to do. Hey, uh, sorry to send, end so abruptly, everyone. But uh, hang on. There might be more. Uh, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Kale, for coming on today for this very interesting and spirited conversation. Oh, thank, th you. thank you, Larry. No, it's, it's the pleasure is all mine. Appreciate it, brother. All right. Bye, everyone. All right. Bye now.